0: Look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More than money with the Popovich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Wood on News Talk 770.
1: Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli, My co-host here, Dave Popovich. Hi, Faisal. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too. You ready?
0: Yes, I am. And I bet uh, we're going to talk about this because I bet there's a lot of people in the starting blocks.
1: Yeah, I, I think we've got a great show today because, first of all, um, the conversation is going to happen this year uh, for many Canadians. Is is it do I rent? Do I own? We've mm-hmm. seen some reports saying, what the uh, the the potential upside for owning real estate in Calgary and surrounding areas, like so, the conversation will be: Should I rent or should I own instead? And then we've seen in 2020. Mm-hmm. There were court cases where the court changed the individual's estate plan. Right, and so we got to warn people about this. Don't assume that your estate plan is bulletproof. That's right. Uh, so there could be some issues. So we want to want to kind of give the heads up. And this being the first show of the new year, yes, you start to think about New Year's resolutions. You yep. start thinking about things you're going to do differently. We've come, th- we're coming through this pandemic, and. Well, I just can't wait till this economy opens up. And and this is Faisal speaking, of course, and how I think about things. I'm looking forward to getting back on that plane and traveling around the world. And, And I can just imagine the amount of Canadians who are in retirement, who are itching to leave or do something that they couldn't do during the pandemic. And I can just see the money flowing out of their accounts. Off they go to do the things because there could be a pandemic in 2022, so I'm going to right. spend my money like it's the last year. You know. Well, and I
0: think there's implications
1: from an investment perspective, but more importantly, I want to
0: talk about um, about the, the the reset. I think there's some longer-term implications here, and you touched on it. Um, people, 2021 is going to be very interesting to watch it play out in, in this respect. People have put their life on hold. We were forced to put our lives on hold in many respects yeah. um, because of the pandemic. And the question is: Is it a, is it a temporary impact? Okay, I missed that trip; I had to cancel. I'm going to go take that trip, or is the mentality exactly what you said? Yeah. Hmm. I didn't like that experience, and I got a limited amount of time here. Yeah, I got, and I want to do some certain things. So, do the floodgates open up? Yeah, and I, you know, I think personally that there is going to be, there's going to be a permanent change in people's behavior, the re, particularly that retiree. Yeah. That didn't get to see their grandkids. That put something, that delayed something, and put it on hold. I think it's changing. Are they
1: trying to overcompensate for what was lost?
0: <clears throat> I don't know if it's. I don't know if the word's going to be overcompensate. It may come across that way initially. Yeah. I think it's going to be a change. It's going to be a change, and I'm not going to. I don't want to delay. I got to get things. It's going to be an overcompensation in 2021. Yeah. But I think there's a permanent. This change. is a
1: very um, similar point in time when we sit down with clients who said, "You know, Dave Faisal, I'm." I'm still in my early sixties. Yep. I'm young. I've yep. got my whole life ahead of me, and my best friend just died right. So now I gotta I yeah. relook at everything that's right and I gotta get all these things off my bucket list right, right. It, it brings a new sense of urgency, yeah, right
0: to it that's it I hadn't thought about it that way, Faisal. It's really interesting that you said that we always we always talk about a health event, whether it's in your family or somebody close to you that affects this that pandemic timeline. is a health event that's correct, and I hadn't thought about it in those terms, but you're exactly right.
1: Say that again. And what? No, come on, say cut it again. Cut that,
0: Betty Joe. You got to cut that. No, out.
1: leave this on the show. <laughs> you just said you're exactly right. Not you're right. You're. I, <laughs> it's on I record think 2021 is going to be a great year. You're right. There's a cheer. Year you're. You're right. Tradition. See, yeah. look at that. <laughs> Oh, this is great. What a great year. Horrible. I got busted The best. This is the best and the only point of the year you're going to say I'm right. The only time of the year you're going to say I'm right. On the permanent record, too. That's terrible. We're going to take a clip of that and play it every day.
0: Okay, so if we're right, we're right. (laughs) Not you're right. If we're right about this. um, What does that mean for people as they're planning 2021? Like, what should they be doing?
1: Look, I can understand the need to, you know, do a whole bunch of things on your bucket list, have all your experiences, because either you've missed it, missed the opportunity, or you're worried that it may not be there. You're, you're a year older, you're it's not going to be the same. Right. So right. I get that. What I would suggest is you sit down with your advisors and kind of go through what the heck you want to do. Mm-hmm. We've already got the email. Mm-hmm. Prior mm-hmm. to this show, the email came in, Faisal, I need $45,000 I am going on a cruise the minute we're allowed to go. Right. So he's already figured out the price. Yep. He doesn't know when he's going to go, yep. but he needs the money. At least he gave me a heads up so right. that we can plan accordingly. But that's the kind of stuff I think people need to do with their advisors when it comes to their portfolios, when it comes to their retirement. Yep. There's going to be a lot of people who are going to say, "That's it, I'm done, I'm ready to retire." Right. They're going to actually make that decision because of this pandemic. Agreed. Get the advice if there's one thing we can learn about 2020, that if you weren't prepared and you didn't have the advice, it actually hurts you. That's right. Now, get the advice on the other side of this when it happens. And that way we open up and we can actually do the things you want to do or you have chosen to retire right. or it's or it's been chosen for you. That's right. Get the advice, get the proper planning done.
0: And, and it's we call it a material change event. So material change event can be pandemic-driven, yeah. markets-driven, or lifestyle-driven. Absolutely. Right? And this is a good time. I mean, it, you're, you're thinking about friends and family and lifestyle and what you've had to forego and what you want it to look like. So if it has changed, it doesn't necessarily have to, but yeah. if, you know, if it has changed, if there is something more than a catch-up trip that you're doing, that is material, and you need to talk to your advisors about that. And, and that might mean you have to go back and rechallenge some of the assumptions in your financial plan, and look at its sustainability. This, have that
1: conversation. That's right. Just have it. And if your advisor's not able to have those conversations right. with you, take a look. Is twenty twenty one the right? That's the right team you have for your retirement. Right. These are the things that you can do right out of the gates.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. I think it's going to be. It's just going to be such a, a a fascinating year. We've got we got to get through this still, right? I don't want to suggest we're done with it, but it is. I think I'm betting put a we'll put a dinner on it but my uh <laughs> my opinion is there's a permanent change in behavior amongst that demographic a demographic for of sure. people we call baby boomers yeah right? I think
1: it's for some not for all right um I think it's not permanent See, I think I it's do. temporary I think it's permanent I think it's an emotional reaction um and 2021 will be the transition year it, it will be this is the transition year it will be. under the assumption that the the whole vaccine thing and everything works out yeah and we can we can get back to somewhat of a normal life. Right. Um this is the transition year. And we know the most sensitive point in a person's life is when they're in a point of transition. Yeah. That's right. And that's where that's where we are. Twenty twenty one is the year of the transition. Yeah.
0: That that's actually probably um um really well said in terms of oh gosh, I just I just complimented oh, you again. Love this. This is the best. I gotta end this life. show fast if
1: I keep going down this path, I'll well, never get to it. Let's talk about when you're transitioning, how to <laughs> bulletproof that retirement, how to make sure that you have all the biggest risks that you need to get covered. First of all, cash flow income. Yes. Number two, growing your money to last for the long term. Yes. Three, making sure you have money put aside in the event of a health issue. Think about all these long-term care uh, facilities. We have a different view of what we want from a long-term yep. care facility now, thanks to COVID. Yep. What do you want? Can you afford it? How do you pay for it? Those issues. And then you're going to leave a big bucket of money behind to people, to charities. How do they get it? Right. Who do you get? Who gets it? Right. How much do they get? These are the biggest issues as people transition through in, through life in their retirement. And one of the biggest expenses they have is tax. Yep. And we know with all the stuff, the, with the stimulus, the taxes are going to change for many. And they're going to probably go after this one demographic because guess who has most of the money in the world? That's right. It's this demographic the, the people transitioning to or living in retirement. And so we're going to host a seminar live online to talk about all these issues and 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 how to bulletproof that retirement on Tuesday, January 19th, 7 p.m. You need to register, so go to morethanmoneyradio.com. That's morethanmoneyradio.com. You ever
0: wonder whether it's financially better to rent or own your own home? We're going to give you the math after the break. You're on 770 CHQR and more than money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and more than money. So, Faisal, the dream of homeownership mm-hmm okay that's sort of in everybody's plan right they want to it, it's it's been set up so that this is part of our success i think it's ingrained in us that you have to own your own home
1: should we challenge that notion and i've been trying to challenge this for years now you my friend been. i think i think um we as a society have said home ownership is a is a good idea and there right. has some merits to it but we haven't explored the other side of of just renting right and so i'm glad that in we had to saw an article mm-hmm. from our guest mm-hmm. talking about this one topic that maybe in people's retirement, right. it might be better to rent than own. Oh, well, that's going to be controversial. Let's okay, us
0: we got Frederick Batiste here. He's an actuary <laughs> and author of Retirement Income for Life. Uh, Fred, welcome back to the show. Well,
2: thanks for ha- having me back.
0: It's been a while. We, uh, we're we glad you could join us. Uh, love the article. And, and I think it'll come as a surprise to people even asking the question. Should you own your own home in retirement, or should you be renting? Why don't you give us a little well, background? It, on it, it, came, thinking it,
2: on. Came, it came even as a surprise to me, actually. I mean, yeah. I, uh, I, I, I was, I was doing the research for uh, for a fourth book, as a matter of fact, and I had to look into house prices. and I figured since I had all that data, and it was hard to put together that, all that data, I thought I might as well just ask the question without knowing what the answer was going to be.
0: Well, I love it. So let's uh, let's go through. So you collected the data and um, and you put it together. What's the high level, and then we can get into some of the details. Is it better to own a okay. rent?
2: Okay. So what, what what I did with the data was I looked at thirty year periods. So either you, at the beginning of that thirty year period, you, you decided to um, to buy a house and make mortgage payments and so on, or you decided to rent. Mm-hmm. And if you rented, then whatever the difference was between the mortgage payments and the rent, you put that money into uh, into an RRSP. Okay. So it was equivalent in terms of cash flow. So I looked at that at the end of each thirty year period, and um, I, and and what, I, uh, what I found was that um, for periods after 2009 or so, um, you would have actually been better off um, uh, renting as opposed to, to buying a house, which came as a real surprise to me because we all know it's been a, a crazy hot stock um, housing market, I should say, for the past 10 years. And I would have thought that any, uh, any 30-year period ending after 2009, it would show that you'd be better off uh, renting. I'm sorry. Better off buying, but in actual fact, you weren't. You were better off renting.
0: So, when you took these 30-year chunks, sorry, were they rolling 30-year periods you were looking at?
2: Rolling, rolling 30-year periods. So, for example, really? I'd look at the period from, uh, from say 1990 until yeah. 2019, and uh, take take our renter and our buyer through the through the whole period and see where where each one of them was at the end of the period in terms of uh, of their their wealth. You know, how much money they had been able to amass or what the value of their house was at that at that point in time.
1: Now, Fred. One rule of real estate ownership is location, location, location. We look at in the last thirty years. You look at Toronto, mm-hmm. Vancouver, and you compare that to other parts of of the country. Are we saying, and is it a rule across the country, or are there are there exceptions to that rule?
2: Yeah, uh, there are some slight exceptions. So, um, and I, I did make that qualification in my article. I I indicated that I'd. Uh, i taken the data which showed uh, an average of Canadian cities, so it would have included other cities, including, say, uh, uh, Calgary. And um, and that average, um, the real increase in house prices over the last 20 years from that average would have been uh, 4.2% per year. That's real increase after inflation which is actually pretty hefty. By comparison with New York City, which everyone thinks is being a pretty hot market, the real increase uh, is, was only 1.9% per year. So that's a pretty huge difference. Now, getting back to your question, if you look at Toronto over that 20-year period, the real increase was 46 So you would have said, well, maybe Toronto would have been different. You would have been better off uh, owning as opposed to renting in Toronto. But uh, it, it's not that different, 42 versus 46
1: so you came to a conclusion, at least how I read it in the article, was a 5% rule. Uh, and, and kind of walk us through what that, yeah. why that 5% is so important to help you make a decision of rent versus owning.
2: Okay. Well, what I had to do was uh, I had to assume that the renter had had equivalent uh, accommodation, equivalent dwelling over those 30-year periods. Otherwise, it's not really a fair comparison. So I figured, well, how, how do I figure out what, what is fair? And when I looked at the data, I found that how much money we pay for uh, to rent a place um, has changed over time. Um, so it would have been at one time that uh, the equivalent rent you would have had to pay—this is back in the 1980s—might have been seven percent of the price. That would be the annual amount of rent, seven percent of the price of the home you bought here. You would have bought. Whereas uh, today, it's more like four or four and a half percent. So, in, a, in other words, uh, prices of houses have gone so high, the rents haven't kept up. So prices of houses, as I was indicating have gone up faster than inflation, and rents have gone have gone up more closer to inflation. And so as a result, we're only uh, we're only currently paying four four and a half percent of a house price is, as annual rent on a place.
1: So if I use 4.5%. a five percent rule just to make it easier for the math, because it's a, it's a weekend, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure. I don't want to use my my skills on the weekend. So five hundred thousand dollar property average value in Canada. If the rent is less than twenty five thousand yeah. dollars a year,
2: yeah. What do you okay. do? call it? Call it a couple of thousand dollars a month. Yeah. If the rent is less than a couple of thousand dollars a month on that on that kind of a property, then you might be better off um, rent, renting, assuming it's going to stay less for the whole period. Of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is and, correct.
1: And yeah. so let's let's take a. Uh, we've got about a, a couple of minutes left. If you look at your sp- position today, let's say okay, Dave's a homeowner, he has his property. He notices that the rent of an equivalent property is less than five percent. Do you sell and go rent? Or do you stick where you're <sighs> at? I love that? No, I'm I'm a
2: I'm a pretty cautious I'm a pretty cautious guy, I'm an actuary, right? So I probably wouldn't <laughs> sell because what I would take into account is yeah, if I knew for a fact that it was going to stay below five percent or even below four and a half percent where it is now, I, I would I would uh, think about renting except you're not going to be able to find, you know, equivalent accommodation. It's not always just about the money. But if you want to make it just about the money, and if you knew that the rent was going to stay that low, then I would say, yes, you would sell and you would you would rent instead. Um, there's a bigger choice when you're looking at buying versus selling, and that's one of the things that people take into account. And people always feel more comfortable, um, uh, you know, owning as opposed to renting. And I so- showed in my, in my article, I showed a chart, and I showed that in certain periods, I mean, if you guessed wrong, like, say, uh, uh, the periods when ho- homeowning was better than renting, it was much better than renting. So, um, yes, it's been better ever since 2009, but I can't say it's going to be better forever.
1: Dave, this is the first time I've heard an actuary tell us it's more than just the numbers. <laughs> that's a good point. That's a good point. That's actually, it it. And that's why this show's called More Than Money, because you know, it's that, more that, that, than just the money. Right. It's, it's <laughs> about a bigger decisions than just that. It, it's not always a financial decision that we have to rely on. Fred, I think we have to leave it there. Thank you for debunking that. I love I love this
0: conversation, and um, thank you again for all the work that you continue to do. Oh, you're
2: great. Welcome, and I enjoyed that. Thank you, guys.
0: We've been joined by Frederick Matisse. He's an actuary, and he's also an uh, well, an author of multiple books uh, on um, retirement income for life, and he's got a new book coming out soon. Faisal, I, you know we've debated this uh, often, right? And and I you picked up on exactly the point because you and I debate the math might be one thing. Yep. But, but I always contend that your home, your personal residence is not an investment. We hear that all the time. Correct. It's a lifestyle choice. Correct. Right? And I think we just had an actuary, maybe,
1: maybe? Confirm that? I think he just did. (laughs) I think he did. I think he just did. It's official now. When the actuaries are on board, it's official. It's official.
0: That's (laughs) awesome. Well, we got to talk about lifestyle, and we got to talk about that at our upcoming seminar. Yeah,
1: it is more than just the money. It's there's a whole bunch of issues when you transition to or live in retirement. And how do you bulletproof that income for the rest of your life? We're going to talk about that on Tuesday, January nineteenth, seven p.m. live online. Go to morethanmoneyradio.com to register. That's morethanmoneyradio.com to register.
0: Stick around after the break to make sure that the courts don't change your estate plan. You're on 770 CHQR and more than money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and more than money. You know, certainly a part of the, the wealth planning process um, is is gifting, right? Is ensuring that you've thought through what's going to be left behind. Yep. Um, how that gift is going to be distributed, who's going to receive it, all of those things that we talk about, our legacy bucket.
1: Yeah, right? and many Canadians have registered yep. retirement savings plans. At some point, they turn into registered retirement income funds. Yep. And most Canadians know that you can designate a beneficiary on these registered in assets, which then bypasses the estate and goes to the beneficiary. Right. However, mm-hmm we came across a recent court decision that cast doubt over the beneficiary designation right so is your beneficiary really your beneficiary
0: and do you have control over de- and controlling who that is going to be right through the specification of that correct. designation correct
1: now yeah uh, i took a i took a law class once Uh-huh and that's as far as I got. So we should bring a lawyer on here to talk about the real issues. <laughs> I was looking forward to your interpretation yeah, of it. Yeah, my Come interpretation on. is I know enough to know that I don't know enough.
0: That we should find out. That right? we should find out, though. <laughs> and we've got Susanna Popovic-Montag, who is managing partner of Hull and Hull LLP, joining us today. Susanna, welcome to the show.
3: Thank you very much.
0: Okay, so we're kind of having a bit of fun with what's uh, what's a pretty serious topic here. Um, so I'd like you, if you could, in, uh, just very quickly to give us... Just a bit of background about uh, the court case that has cast some doubt over these designe- beneficiary designations.
3: Sure, happy to. The Muskie decision was a 2020 decision that came out in March of this year of the Ontario Superior Court, where we as estate planners and litigators were a little bit shaken out with the results. What we had here was a, um, a, a gentleman who passed away, he had two children. And he had some joint assets and he had a RIF. Mm-hmm. And he had put the, the assets held jointly with one of his children and the RIF he had designated that same child as the beneficiary of that uh, instrument. And then when he passed away, the other child, perhaps not surprisingly, decided to challenge those designations and that joint asset. And what there has happened here, we had had a pretty long history of understanding how the law of joint assets worked based on a previous Supreme Court of Canada decision. And there was this um, presumption that when an asset is held jointly with a parent and an adult child for no consideration, then it's going to come back or revert back to the estate. So it doesn't pass by right or survivorship, but it belongs to the estate. But we had always treated designated beneficiaries and those designations in a very different fashion, where if somebody was designated a beneficiary of a RIF or a life insurance policy, then that person would be entitled to those funds and they would not come back to the estate on, on death. Right. And in this decision, the court actually found that a RIF with a designated beneficiary was still going to come back and be, be part of the estate.
0: Okay. Um, That's scary. Well, it's I can see why you're shaking <laughs> about that. That's scary because yeah. it,
1: here's the thing. I've got two girls. Mm-hmm. And let's say from a strategy and a tax perspective, I wanted to leave my life insurance policy to one child, my registered assets to another child or whatever. They can challenge this. Yeah. Something can go, can go haywire now. So let's talk about that, right? So- I'm
0: interested, Susanna, this notion of the challenge. And so anything can be challenged at any time. I think you're, you, you, you know, you're the, the pillars of the foundation here are shaken a little bit in that it was the estate's property and not the, uh, the, the, in, the intent of the, the person receiving the beneficiary. So how do you protect against a challenge? If this was That's truly it. your intent, how, uh, can we protect uh, how we want to give that gift in this particular case, given the decision?
3: Well, I think that's what we're all kind of scrambling to figure out here because it is such a blow to the way we've always planned things. And, you know, suddenly having things that were passing outside of the estate come back into the estate was a shock. And so the best way really is to document the intentions. I think it's it's just so important that, you know, whenever we have an ambiguity or a mistake or something, the courts are going to look to what was actually intended. And so we're going to need evidence of that. We're going to need, you know, the... um, the actual wishes of what they were and what was intended there so that when it comes time to support that argument it's available
1: i have talked to so many lawyers and they all say document your intentions right where do you document your intentions is it in a will is it on a separate note do i do a video and leave it for my beneficiary like how, how do you document your intentions
3: that's a great question i mean we always start firstly with the wording of the will you know is it specifically going to address a particular situation and you know, if there are joint accounts or, or registered assets, are they spoken to in the will? And if so, to what extent? If they're not, and we're just looking to someone's evidence, their, their intention evidence, then we're going to want to make sure it is corroborated. Because as you point out, if if it isn't written down somewhere or supported somehow, it's only going to be viewed as impartial uh, evidence, and or sorry, partial evidence. And so we're looking at having these things written down in in documents so during. We've done a lot of deeds of gift here in our jurisdiction where you're specifically saying that this is what you intend and you really mean it. And we also look to the evidence of others like you know the lawyers, the financial mm-hmm. planners, third parties who aren't interested in the actual fight but can provide that corroborative evidence because otherwise we won't be able to prove what was intended.
1: Suzanne, this is a case that's happened in Ontario. Should people in Alberta be worried about this or is it just an Ontario issue?
3: I think it's we're going to see more and more of this across different jurisdictions. And I believe, in fact, that there was a decision very similar in Alberta and one in Manitoba. And so even though, you know, from our perspective, we'd like to think that it's an outlier decision, I believe we're going to see a trend towards more of these kinds of decisions being made. And we won't really know how effective or how much of a presidential value they'll have until a higher court addresses them. But mm-hmm. in the meantime, we don't want to be that test case. So we're doing the best we right. can to try to scramble around.
1: So I'll walk you through what a typical Canadian goes through when they when they purchase or inv- invest in a registered retirement savings plan or have money in a retirement income fund. They sit down at their financial institution with their advisor. They make their deposit. They've been investing in whatever they're investing in. And one of the questions that are asked in the the application form of that, that account is, who's your beneficiary? And they write down the name. Nowhere is there a conversation or a document that's given to the investor or the person owning the registered savings plan about the intentions of the beneficiary. Nowhere in those documents or generally in the conversation mm-hmm. with the client does the advisor say, is this your true intention? What should the financial institutions and more importantly, financial advisors, people like in positions like Dave and myself, what kind of conversation do we need to have with our clients to better understand the intention? So something like this doesn't happen to our clients. And, and I think that's
3: the key. I We really, really do need to have these conversations. Because even if something as simple as a joint bank account, you go to the bank, you sign it, and they, they never talk about, you know, the fact that it may not pass automatically by right of survivorship. And so I think these conversations need to be had. I think they, that, you know, advisors need to document them so that there is going to be this evidence that is contemporaneous and available at the end of the day. And we need to let our family members know what our intentions are. You know, that dialogue, I think, is very important And and, you know, Letting people know what you really want while you still can, I think, is the key.
0: Yeah, document, document, document. Suzanne. I don't think we can say that enough. And it's not, in my opinion, it's not getting easier. It's only going to get uh, more complicated going forward. I think we're going to watch this case with some interest to see if it's got legs, say, in, uh, in the appeals court, if it makes it through and how this might trickle through across the rest of the country. It might even to... go
1: up to the Supreme Court.
0: Yeah, like that's this. right. Could go to the Supreme could it,
1: Court. Could well, sure. it can go to Supreme Court,
3: right? It could. Uh, very few cases tend to typically, but yeah. if it becomes something that a court views as of national importance, it's possible. Yeah. Otherwise, we might see our legislation have to change because of this decision, but I think time will tell
1: and I'm interested what the tax implications are now. Mm. If the courts say this is not the it's not your spouse's, it's your child's or the intention changes. Right. there's a tax implication potentially on this on the estate and who actually pays and what. This is going to get crazy if it, if it goes down this path even further. So well, this
0: is why things, it's, things are always evolving, right? Correct. And I think it's really important just to stay abreast of it. This is clearly one of those cases where there could be an evolution, whether you like the direction or not. Susanna, I want to thank you very much for taking some time to educate us and our listeners on uh, on what this case is about and the implications it may have on them.
3: My pleasure, gentlemen. Have a wonderful day.
0: You too. We've been joined by Susanna Popovic-Montag. She's managing partner of Hull & Hull LLP. Okay. Well, listen, the legacy pocket's part of the overall lifestyle, right? Nobody wants to leave behind a fight as what their
1: estate gift is. This is why it's important to have a team that knows about retirement and the transition of your wealth. They focus on this. They're an expert. They specialize in this. We want to talk to people about why these types of issues come up. Mm-hmm. And first of all, how do you bulletproof your retirement? And how do you deal with the other issues? We're going to have that session on our seminar on Tuesday, January nineteenth, seven PM, live online. You need to register for this, so go to more than money That's more than money to register.
0: Do you want to uh, learn how to protect yourself against the biggest financial risk to your retirement? Stick around after the break. You're on seven seventy CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back here with Dave and Faisal on seven seventy CHQR and more than money. You know, before the break phase, we talked a little bit about, or I teased a little bit about this uh, this segment. And I, I don't think that people understand necessarily um, how the rules of investing change when you move into retirement.
1: They, I, I don't think many in our industry are explaining it to them either. I think you're right. I think you're right. Because we constantly come across
0: um, people that we talk to that, you know, ask the question, well, what, why are you guys different? What You know, what, what's going on here? And, and there's one... Number one issue that we are trying to protect our structure and our discipline protects people against, which is the fundamental change in the way investing should take place as you move into retirement and you need income.
1: Let's go to the point of one of the biggest fears entering and going through retirement yeah. for the for every Canadian out there. Every single Canadian has this fear mm-hmm. at some point through their retirement. No matter how much money they have, really. Regardless, yeah. they could be a yeah. billionaire. Yeah, yeah. Will I run out of money? Mm-hmm. Strange to think you could be a billionaire and do that, right? Trust and, me, and we've, met, we've met some. Yeah, you can, you can. We've met some who said they're billionaires mm-hmm. and they're yeah. scared that they may run out of money. Mm-hmm. It's not a, it's not an and asset. Some issue. have to had that happen for yeah. sure. Yeah, it's not an asset issue; it's right. a spending issue. Right. Okay. So what we tried when we built our practice was I don't want it to be a spending issue. Mm-hmm. I want it to be a protection issue. Right. I want to make sure they're protected right. and they get this freedom within boundaries where they can spend what they want in their lifestyle mm-hmm. without worrying about external factors. Right. And one of the biggest issues that is not being talked about properly in our industry, and I put this on us and our industry, not on the client, because mm-hmm. the client doesn't, or the investor does not know this stuff. Right. It's our job to know It's that. our job to know this and yeah. explain it to them. Yeah, that's right. The concept of what's called sequence of returns. Mm-hmm. Now, Dave, I want you to kind of explain the sequence of returns because I think from when we do our our, our seminars mm-hmm. and stuff, you kind of go through the analogy and the issue of what sequence of returns is. Yeah. But I'd like you to kind of condense all the math into a few sentences that people <laughs> can kind of get to. No pressure. No pressure. A few sentences <laughs> and and tell them the risk of what the sequence of returns is. Okay, so here's how I, I would try my best, and you
0: beat me up along the way if I'm not doing a very good job. But if you, if you had a million dollars in a portfolio, okay, the math that people do is say, well, if I need $40,000 a year for my portfolio, I only need a 4% rate of return. Okay, and that math is true. But here's the problem, is what happens at some point if that portfolio is trading down? So you're going to have periods where it's trading at 4%. You're going to have
1: periods where it's trading at minus 4%. Meaning okay? your rate of return on your investments is 4%, That's right. minus 4%, positive 10, minus 10. Right. It can be all over the map. It can be all over the place. This
0: is the sequence of returns. Now, if you're at a position where you
1: have to draw out of the
0: portfolio at a point when it's down in value, this is when mathematically your problem kicks in because your million dollars. Correct. Let's say it, it performed at 4% the first year and you got your 40 grand. No issue. You got a million dollars at the start of year two. Correct. And then it fell. It fell by 4% and you've got $960,000, but you still need to take $40,000 out. You don't have a million bucks anymore on that 4%. So
1: basically when you're drawing on your bucket of money, yeah. your savings, And it's less in value because of the markets or whatever you're investing in. Right. You have less of an opportunity to recover or less of an opportunity for that money to last you for your entire lifetime, which is the number one fear that Canadians have in their retirement. That's right. So in comes in a solution, Dave. Mm. All you have to do is get a 4% dividend or yield Mm -hmm. on your portfolio. Mm -hmm. Then you're fine. Well... Okay, let's that's go. Been the, that's the answer to that problem right. by many in our industry.
0: Okay. So let's assume for a second that you're dividend-paying companies, that there's no change in that dividend ever, okay? And remember, the dividend is at the discretion of the board of directors. We
1: saw lots cut. But let's assume that doesn't happen. Correct. What happens if your spending needs went up? Well, I've been, I've been doing this for a very long time, Dave, mm-hmm. and I've never met somebody, never has there been one client of ours, mm-hmm hundreds of clients that we have yep. that have gone through retirement or are going through retirement and have the exact same spending habits right. year over year over year over year. Yep. Let me give you a good example, right? Two good examples.
0: Jeez. My, my child's lost his job or her job right now, and I need to help them out just temporarily, though, and I need $100,000. I, okay.
1: I was impacted by the hailstorm. Right. My insurance company's not going to cover all the difference uh, on the cost to fix this. The government's taking too long to give me some money, so I need $25,000 above my spending. It's a special anniversary, and we're going to take all of our kids and grandkids on a trip. Oh, my God. We can like, go on and on and on. On and on. Yeah. And, and here's the problem is that no one sets up the freedom within boundaries in your retirement. Right. I need to know what's the maximum that I can spend given my, my situation right now, so I'm not gonna run out of money before I pass, and right. we, we pick a, a date like 90 years of age or 95, or what's the least amount that I can spend that I'll leave everything behind for my beneficiaries in my estate. Anywhere in between those two parameters, is freedom within boundaries. Right. And let me just finish the thought on the impact, right? So given
0: all of those those lifestyle reasons why you may need more money on one year, what if you have to go to your million-dollar portfolio that's got a 4% dividend paying you $40,000 a year, and you have to sell some of that stock to get the money for that special trip, for helping out the child, for whatever the reason is, yeah. now you've got fewer... Uh, you've got a smaller portfolio producing a smaller dividend that no longer meets the lifestyle. And this would
1: be the same thing if the GIC rates, guaranteed investment certificates were offering 4%. Right. It doesn't matter the type of investment. Do not assume for the rest of your life you're going to be living on the exact same dollar as if it was a Canadian pension plan check. That's all you get. Yeah. This is your money. You Mm. work so hard for it. And now you're going to be told by your financial advisor you can't spend more than what we have agreed upon five years ago when we set up this account. Is that the kind of retirement you envisioned? Yeah. I don't think anybody lives on the exact same dollar yeah. every single year, even when they're on a paycheck. No, they don't. They don't.
0: Nobody does because we don't. We see it all
1: the time. Life so it's changes. Not Things change. When you do a retirement calculator, mm-hmm. a financial plan, that's a, that's a whole bunch of assumptions that nothing changes in your life. Yeah. Yeah, And that's but this, simply this, not true. The sequence
0: and, of returns, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad you said that's it. a sort of a finance jargony term that we use. It, it, is, um, it is something you can It is through. the
1: killer or yeah. the destruction of your retirement. Yeah. The sequence of return will kill your retirement if you don't plan it properly. And I want my, my peers in my industry, read up on it, understand it. When you're doing work for clients who are transitioning to or living in retirement, either know this stuff and share it with them, or pass those clients on to a retirement transition specialist who knows what the heck they're doing, because this is people's future that we're talking about.
0: Yeah. So, so you want our industry to up their game. That's terrific. And I want, I want clients. I want real people. Um, I mean, our mandate is to educate people about this. And I just want people to understand the impact that this can have. Right. I mean, I spend the first part of our, of our seminar going through like, I can't do it justice on radio, but there's a, whole set of slides to un- so people can understand what the impact of this is, right? Here's
1: what I'd like to do, Dave. I'd like to challenge every listener on uh, uh, right now that if you can go to your advisor and ask them, how does the sequence of return impact my retirement? Just ask them that question. I don't care what answer you got. You can figure out from there. Send us a note. Go to morethanmoneyradio.com. Tell us you did this exercise. I'm going to give you a free copy of our book called Bulletproof Your Retirement.
0: Yeah. Good, and that
1: talks exactly about that issue and how to protect yourself. Absolutely, I'll give you that free copy. It's on Amazon right now, but you can you can get it for free from us by just going to your advisor and saying, "How does the sequence of return impact my retirement?" Let us know that you did that, and maybe even tell us what what your advisor said. That'd be interesting to see.
0: Yeah, very cool. Okay, so you know we have to talk about there is a difference. All you know, I hope what people take away from this, there's a difference in strategies required when you get to a point in your life that we typically call retirement, but it's a point when you're drawing, you need income to support a lifestyle. You need that income from your savings. This is the point in time that things fundamentally change. right? And we need, as I said, we need to educate people about that. People need to understand this so they can protect themselves and enjoy that lifestyle that they've envisioned.
1: Absolutely. All right, we're gonna talk about this even more in detail, how to bulletproof your retirement at our seminar. On Tuesday, January 19th, 7 p.m. live online, you need to register. So go to morethanmoneyradio.com. That's morethanmoneyradio.com.
0: Well, listen, thank you very much for tuning in to another edition of More Than Money on 770 CHQR. And I look forward to chatting with you next week.